Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2013 Overland Park Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 1, and tonight I want to share some things with you that uh, I think is really, really going to help you and bless you. You know, I've spent a lot of time today thinking about this because I've been ministering in Kansas City for 33 years coming here. And like I said, I used to come here more than one time a year. And uh, I've just been thinking about a lot of things, thinking about so many people who've been a part of our ministry, who've been friends of mine here, who are dead and gone to be with the Lord. Uh, people that are, you know, families have been divorced. And there's a lot of people that just life gets in the way of what you intended. Things don't work out exactly the way you planned. And I've been thinking about this today. And let me introduce this by saying that in 2009, I had the opportunity of going and, and, uh, to Oral Roberts' home in California. And I visited with him just a couple of months before he died. And uh, there was a group of about 20, I think it was, might have been just over that, 20 ministers or so that were there. And he came and just talked to us. And then he let us ask questions. Everybody got to ask two questions. And then he prayed for everybody. And um, it was really powerful. I don't agree with everything Oral Roberts has done. Every time I say this, somebody gets on my case. <laughs> Give me a break. Quit being so prejudiced. You know, if somebody's driving down the interstate before you, they do not have to be the Pope for you to appreciate what they know. If they are two hours down the interstate before you, and if you've got access to them, you could ask them, what's the weather like? Is the road good? Is the road blocked? Where can I get gas? Where can I eat? And they can give you information because they're ahead of you on the road. So anyway, I don't have to agree with everything that Oral Roberts has done, but that man, God has used him, and he's shake, shook this nation, and great things happen, and there was things for me to learn from him. So anyway... I, uh, when it came my turn to have him pray for me, he says, what do you want me to pray for? And I said, I want to see greater manifestation of the healing power of God. I mean, he operated in that and I wanted that anointing. And I said, I want you to lay hands on me and stir up that anointing and, and see greater miracles. And I'm going to tell you what he said. And some of you are going to be shocked by this, but he says, it won't work for you. And I said, why not? He says, because you're a pastor. I said, I'm not a pastor. And he says, oh, well, then I can pray for you and you can do this. Some of you are thinking, well, what does that have to do with anything? Here's, here's, what he, here's the logic behind it. That you know what, if you're a traveling ministry, I can come in here one night and blow up and blow out and I'm gone. And I can pray for you. And if you fall over and get up just as sick as you were before, I'm gone. And it's not going to influence me. But you know what? If you're a pastor and you pray for a person that's in a wheelchair and if they don't get out of that wheelchair and they come back next week and next month and next year, you know what that does? Most people cannot believe God beyond their experience. Most people, here's another way of saying it, life makes us skeptical. Our life experiences... You are not going to see everything work. Not because God doesn't work. Not because it isn't God's will to do it. But there's just a lot of things involved. 
I was talking to a woman tonight whose husband just died of cancer and now she's fighting cancer. And she was a great lady and she, you could tell she was standing in faith and she knew what the Word said. She was believing God, but she was struggling some. And I began to tell her some of these same things. I said, you know what? Cancer's not hard. I've seen thousands of people healed of cancer. Cancer's not hard to overcome, but what's between your ears is what's hard to deal with. And you just saw your husband die and you have to deal with this because she says he was much stronger in faith than I am. And I said, by your own words, you are hindering yourself because if he was stronger in faith and died, then what conclusion does that lead you to? And you know what this does? It, she doesn't doubt that God can heal, but now she's seen this other thing. And it's hard for people to keep their faith, to maintain their faith when what they see and experience doesn't always line up. And so a traveling minister doesn't have to deal with the consequences as much as a pastor does. You know, I've pastored as well as traveling. And I tell you what, this is much easier than pastoring. I respect pastors. <laughs> Boy, staying with the same group of deadheads all of the time is just... <laughs> Man, thank you, Jesus, that I'm, I'm free to travel. I love them and leave them. But anyway, I respect pastors. I'm not against them. But I'm just saying it's a hard ministry. And that's what Oral Roberts was talking about, that see, if you're a pastor and you have somebody who loves God with all of their heart and to the best of their ability, they do what they're, they know what they're doing, and yet they don't seem to get better. They stay in the same state. Did you know most people will not be able to go beyond something like that? They will let circumstances dictate and control their faith more than what the Word of God says. And so how is it that you maintain your faith? Here's another way of looking at this. If you've been around very long in the Lord, I can guarantee you that you've seen people that when they first get born again, they have a zeal and a love for the Lord that is just awesome. But to maintain that over 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, it becomes increasingly hard. There's some of you that you get a revelation on healing. And man, you're just excited and you get healed of miraculous things and you're just going to go change the world and you go in and start trying to empty the hospital. <laughs> and you know what? You can't empty a hospital. Not because God doesn't want them all healed, but because they aren't all receiving and they aren't believing. And there's just a lot of different things that go on. And over a period of time, if you start praying for people and don't see them heal, then you know what? It begins to discourage people. Unbelief, fear begins to creep in and you wouldn't say that you disbelieve that God will do it, but you lose your enthusiasm. You lose your excitement. You lose your zeal. Most people cannot maintain themselves over a prolonged period of time. Matter of fact, I was ministering in Louisville, Kentucky, and this has been 20 or 30 years ago, a long time ago, and I was ministering there and I had a woman come up and this woman told me, she says, this has just changed my life. I've never understood how God loved me unconditionally before. And she was crying and she says, this has been the greatest thing that has ever happened. But then she ended it by saying, I know it won't last, but right now it's awesome. <laughs> and when she said that, man, it grieved me in my heart because here was a person who was already anticipating. They were releasing their faith that I know it won't last, but right now it's good. And when she said that, it grieved me. And it was on a Sunday morning 
And I remember going back to my hotel and just thinking, God, that's terrible. Why would people think that? But then as I thought about it, I said, you know, it really is true. The vast majority of people seem tend to go in mountaintops and valleys and God will touch them and then something happens and they get down here and they're just up and down. People have made entire doctrines out of it that this is the way you're supposed to be. But that's not true. The Lord says that the valleys would be exalted and the mountains and hills make low. So if you, if you bring the mountains and hills down and bring the valleys up, there should be even plain or it should be more like this. Amen. We shouldn't be getting worse. Things sh we shouldn't be like a leaky vessel that the Holy Ghost just leaks out and you got to come back and get a new touch from God. And so anyway, I see that this is the way it is, but I said, God, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And, I, and I'm not saying this again in any way except just thankfulness to God. But the Lord touched my life March the 23rd, 1968. I got on fire with God and I have never lost that zeal. I'm still as excited about God today. I haven't been depressed in the last 40 something years. I've been excited. I don't go up and down like a yo-yo. I don't have great highs, but I don't have lows. This is just the way that I always am. I have to tell my students when I get excited, I tell them I'm excited. I have to let them know because we've got students that get excited. They're my designated runners and dancers. And when I get excited, I tell them, go for it, amen. And they do it all for me. But anyway, I, praise God, I haven't lost my love for God. What God did 45 years ago next week is stronger in my life today than it was 45 years ago. I've never gotten over it. I never intend on getting over it. And I was looking at what's happened in my life versus what this woman said and what I see in most people's lives. And I said, God, there's got to be a reason. I don't know what the reason is, but I said, there's got to be a reason. And the Lord led me to these scriptures in Romans chapter one and taught me why it is that people tend to be leaky vessels and lose the joy and the peace and the excitement and the confidence and all of these kind of things. And what I want to do tonight, this, I've got an entire series out there entitled The Keys, Discover the Keys to Staying Full of God. And it's about six hours worth of teaching. And I'm not going to keep you six hours. Amen. Can you say amen? But I'm going to try and condense this real quickly and share some things with you. And if you could understand this, this will just transform your life. And this is stuff that I think is true for every single person. So right here in Romans, in verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Man, I could preach an hour or two on that. But the gospel is not what most people today call the gospel. It's talking about the grace of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 24 says that uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, use the word grace and gospel interchangeably. If you aren't preaching on the grace, the mercy, the unconditional love of God, if you're preaching to people, you gotta, you're a sinner, repent, or else turn or burn. That's not the gospel. And that's the reason a lot of people don't have power in their life, because they haven't heard the true gospel. And so anyway, he talks about the gospel and the religious system of his day, just like the religious system of our day, rejects the gospel. They think, no, you got to show people how much of a sinner they are and you got to show them that God's angry at them. And if you tell people that God loves them unconditionally, you're going to free them to go live in sin. 
That's what people criticize me all the time for. And so Paul, it was the same thing. And he anticipated what this criticism was going to be. So in verses 18 through 20, he began to say, you don't need to tell them about the wrath of God because the wrath of God is already revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. There is an intuitive knowledge on the inside of every person of right and wrong. Now, that's not a perfect guide because it can be severed. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, seared with a hot iron. It, it's not a perfect guide. You can be condemned when God isn't condemning you. But nonetheless, every person has this intuitive knowledge of God on the inside. Let me just read these verses quickly. In the name of Jesus, I'm not going to preach on them, but I could. This is really good. It says in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. And if you look this up in the Greek, it's the word already revealed. It's already been done. This isn't something that it might come. It has already happened. The wrath of God is already revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, not to them, but in them for God has shown it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. There is not a person that's ever breathed that doesn't have this homing device on the inside of them, an intuitive knowledge of God. You can go to any culture on this planet and they will have different ideas about God because men get involved and they corrupt it. But every culture knows that there's a God. The people who say that they're an atheist and they don't believe in God, they're, they're lying. Either that or they've had their conscience seared and it's totally severed. But at one time they knew that there was a God. And if you point a gun to their head and say, I'm going to kill you, they'll cry out to that God that they say they don't believe in. It's a mind game. Everybody, I don't care who they are, they know right from wrong. Everybody knows right from wrong. Now you can skew that. You can deaden yourself to it. But at one time you were sensitive to God, every person. And that's the points that he's making. And then beginning with verse 21 through the end of the chapter, he starts showing you that there's things that you can do to deaden yourself to this intuitive knowledge of God. And that's what I wanted to talk about. And he's talking about steps that you have to take away from God to harden yourself and to stop the benefit of this revelation in your life. And so he's saying here, these are things that people do to harden themselves to God. What I'm going to do is turn this around in the opposite and say, if this is the things that you have to do, then do the opposite of this and you'll stay sensitive to God. You'll, you'll keep in that position. And uh, this is really powerful. There's four things listed right here. In verse 21, he says, here's the first thing. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. That's the first thing that people do that stops the flow of God, stops the revelation of God, stops the joy of God, the zeal of God, the peace of God, the healing of God, whatever it is that you want to talk about. The first thing is that you don't glorify him as God. The second thing is that uh, they were not thankful, but became the third thing, they became vain in their imaginations. The fourth thing, their foolish heart was darkened. And I believe that these are progressive steps too. 
You don't start with a darkened heart or a hardened heart towards God. That's the results of these other things. The very first thing is that you have to not glorify God as He's supposed to be. And again, I wish I had more time to share this with you. I'm going to say these things real quickly. But this word glorify here, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what this meant because it just didn't resonate with me at, at the very first. And so I started studying it and I looked up in the dictionary and the word glorify means to render or esteem glorious. And that still didn't do much for me. So I started looking up every one of the words and the word esteem, when I got to that, that began to speak to me. And here's what the Lord showed me. When it talks about that you have to glorify God, that means to render our esteem glorious. The word esteem means to place value on or to magnify. And here's what the Lord was showing me, is that when the Lord touches your life, every one of us, you place value on things every single day. You value things. And the value that you place on things depends on what kind of dominance and influence that has over you. For instance, you could come up to me and tell me about somebody who's just ragging on you and telling you all kinds of things. And you know what? It's not going to bother me the way it bothers you because I don't value them the way that you value them. I was hiking up Pikes Peak one time with a friend of mine and we have a mutual minister friend who loves us. He's blessed us and done some good things for us, but at the same time, he's just super critical. He talks about us behind our back, and I've heard a lot of really nasty things that he's said about us. And so anyway, we were hiking up Pikes Peak, and this friend of mine was saying, did you hear what so-and-so said? And I said, I don't want to hear it. I said, I know, he's, I know he criticizes me. I just don't need to hear what he's got to say. And he says, but he said things about you just the way he did me. And I said, I know it. I don't want to hear it. So he got quiet for a while and in about five minutes he says, but he, this is what he said. And he started, and I said, Mike, I just don't want to hear it. So he was quiet for about 10 minutes and finally he says, why doesn't it bother you what he says about you? And I said, because I don't value his opinion the way you value his opinion. Whether you know it or not, nobody Nobody can hurt you with what they say unless you value their opinion. A terminology that many of you would recognize, a psychological term that we use a lot today, is you are codependent upon people's approval. And some of you say, but it's my wife. It doesn't matter if it's your wife. You should not be codependent upon your wife. And if you are, and if you think, I've got to have them love me. If they didn't love me and support me, I couldn't make it. Then you know what? You're actually hindering the relationship. You're smothering them. You ought to get to where you, instead of being a taker and sucking the life out of them, you ought to be so secure that you're able to give and bless them instead of draw from them all the time. Now, I'm not denying the fact that we need to be blessed and ministered to, but I'm saying that any time, the only people that will ever let you down are the ones you lean on. And if you don't lean on anybody but Jesus, nobody will ever let you down. And so whether you know it or not, you do value different things and you make yourself dependent on certain things happening. And the sad fact is we value most people and things and money and circumstances and recognition from people and all of these things more 
then we value God. You may not agree with that, but really that's what happens. And if you, if God has ever touched your life, if you've ever been healed, and if you lose that healing or lose your faith because you saw somebody die who was trying to believe God and all of a sudden you've lost your enthusiasm and excitement, you can phrase it different ways, but you know what you did? You valued that person and what you saw more than you valued what you learned through the Word of God. And that is having more dominance over you than what God's Word has to say. It's the value that you placed on it. You rendered it. You esteemed it. You glorified something else more than you glorified God in what He said. That's a true statement. Thank you for that thunder silence. Some of you think, well, that's not what I'm doing. I can guarantee you, if you at one time had a greater revelation of God than you have right now, you did this. You quit glorifying. You quit esteeming and loving God and appreciating what He's done in your life, and you let something else distract you. If you've ever had a revelation of finances and at one time it was working and yet it's not working as well now, it's not the circumstances, it's not the great recession, it's the fact that you quit glorifying God and putting the same faith in Him. You have valued what they say on the news media or you valued what you've seen or what your boss said about how hard it's going to be and something and you started valuing that stuff. You know, it's kind of like a seesaw. A seesaw can't have both ends up at the same time. If one end is up, the other one's down. And if you are going to truly glorify God, esteem Him, and place the proper value on God, then that means that everybody else's opinion and every circumstance and every experience has to be down here in comparison. Amen? You know, it was right here in Kansas City over at the Marriott that I was speaking at a full gospel businessman's uh, meeting maybe 25 years ago. And I remember that I had a man walk up to me and start reading me the riot act over the way Jamie was dressed and started criticizing her. And if you know my wife, she always dresses nice. There's nothing inappropriate about her. But he was a Pentecostal and she wore uh, jewels and had a gold uh, wedding ring on and she wore makeup and she didn't have her hair piled up. And, and she wasn't Pentecostal. So anyway, he was reading me the riot act over the way Jamie was dressed. And I just stopped him right in the middle of it. And I said, who died and made you God? <laughs> and he just stopped and looked at me and said, what are you saying? And I said, what makes your opinion better than my opinion? Well, and, he, and I said, you know what? You're nobody. I don't care what you say. Why do I care what you say? And that guy got real offended and left. But I figured if he was going to be offensive to me, you, you got to, you know, need it in measure. So I just didn't care what he said. You know, it's not that I like people disliking me or criticizing me, but I can promise you, if you come up and say that, man, I hated what you said and I think you're wrong, I'm not going to like it. If you like rejection and persecution, something's wrong with you. <laughs> I'm not going to like it, but I can guarantee you this, it's not going to keep me up tonight. I'll sleep good <laughs> because I don't care that much about your opinion. I know that God Almighty loves me with all of my warts, with all of my problems. He loves me. And compared to you, God's much better. I just don't care that much about you. Somebody thinks, well, that's terrible. 
No, it's not. See, there are some people that think, but you're supposed to, you know, I heard this song one time about a guy who was talking about he couldn't close his eyes because he couldn't stop looking at the person next to him in bed. He just loved them so much. And I wanted to stick my finger down my throat and throw up like, <laughs> yuck. That's not love, that's lust. Man, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he wasn't just, oh, I feel it. It was, a, it was something he chose to do. What the world is presenting in the way that they're saying that, you know, if your mate was to die, you're supposed to be grieving. Something's wrong with you if you don't grieve. Something's wrong with you. I'm not saying that there's not a certain type of grief, but the grief of this world that just destroys people is absolutely wrong. You ought to love God so much that you could be saying, thank you, Father, that my mate is in the presence of God and that you have blessed them and I will see them again. And you don't have to fall apart. You don't have to fall apart like a $2 suitcase every time something happens. We're being told that that's the way it's supposed to be, but that's because we value this, this physical life and all of these things so much more than we're supposed to. We're supposed to value God so much that in comparison, everything else is down here. They come and tell you, you got fired. And they say, well, isn't that terrible? But thank you, Jesus, that you love me and that, man, I'm going to heaven and I've got a mansion on the streets of gold. And if you thought like that and if you just kept valuing God, did you know what? You could rejoice right through being unemployed. You could rejoice right through a divorce. You can rejoice through whatever's coming your way if you keep your attention and your value on God the way you're supposed to. I'm telling you, if, if you were to be touched tonight and if you were to just be so fired up that, man, you left this place thinking, praise God, I'm never going to be discouraged again. The Bible says that Satan comes immediately to steal away the word. And I can promise you that, that tomorrow, Satan's got plenty of people that are receptive to him. And tomorrow at work or something, your dog will bite you. Something will happen. <laughs> Something will happen to draw your attention away from what you've been thinking about God and get you focused on, well, this person didn't say hi to me. This person cut me off in traffic and they saw me and how dare them. And you get to thinking about nobody loves me and you get into all this junk. And he, he will do something to take your attention off of what God has done. And the moment you start putting your attention over here and start saying, but oh God, I've got to have this person love me. I've got to have this job promotion. I've got to have this much money. I've got to have this car. I've got to have these things. And the moment you start elevating them, you quit glorifying God. And that's the reason that you begin to start leaking and that you lose your joy and your peace and your faith. The moment you see somebody else die over here, you, you thought was believing God, but here's the word of God. And the moment you start saying, but, and you start considering this and esteeming it, then your faith over here begins to start going down. You cannot have both ends up at the same time. Amen. It's impossible. So I can guarantee you this, if you would just begin to glorify God, place the proper value on God and what he said to you, I can guarantee you that's the first step. And until you take the first step, you cannot take the second, third, and the fourth step. You will continue to operate in, in the joy and in the power of God if you just keep placing the proper value upon what God has done in your life. You know, here's another example, but... Uh, March the 23rd, 1968 is when God changed my life. And that's when he 
touched me. And I tell you, it was on a Saturday night. I was so fired up that the next morning I went back to my Baptist church. I was 18 years old and I began to tell them all about, man, Jesus touched me. Jesus filled me with this. I didn't know what to call it. But I just felt like I was filled with the Spirit. And I said, I'm filled with the Spirit. <laughs> Did you know it would have been better if I had told them I committed adultery? <laughs> they would have forgiven me for that. They'd have forgiven me for adultery. But to say I'm filled with the Spirit, I mean the pastor of the church and everybody begin to get on my case. Who do you think you are? The Apostle Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't get filled with the Holy Spirit. All that stuff's passed away with the apostles. And they jumped on me like a chicken on a June bug and begin to start just <laughs> telling me that you're of the devil. You know what the tendency was? I was so excited about what Jesus had done in my life. I was valuing it. It was important to me. And immediately people, the, the pastor of the church, my parent, my mother, my brother, my sister, all of the people that I respected came out and criticized me. How dare you say something? And you know what the tendency was? It was to value their opinion more than what I'd experienced from God. And if I had done that, then immediately this would have come down and that would have led me to the second step of not being thankful and then my imagination becoming darkened and then my heart being hardened. And today I'd be telling you about 45 years ago, I had a great experience with God, but I lost it. But see, I didn't lose it because I, and it wasn't because I had a great revelation, but I was just so excited. I knew God had touched me that I didn't know what, to, I just told him, I said, look, I don't know what your problem is, but I'm telling you, God did something. And I just kept my evaluation up here, amen. They actually wanted to vote me out of the church over the next few months. They took a vote whether I could stay in the church or not. I know some of you think I'm making this up, but this is too wild to make up. And I just started having all kinds of things happen. I had people come out against me. My mother didn't talk to me for two weeks because she was so ashamed of me. And you know what? There was a tendency. I love my mother. My dad died when I was 12. My mother and I were super close. And there was a tendency for me to love my mother and want her approval and acceptance more than God's. And it's not that I didn't love my mother, but I just loved God so much more that I kept thinking, what's your problem? And God appeared to her in a dream and spoke to her and told her I was doing what I was supposed to do. Take her hands off of me. My mother became my biggest supporter. God took care of her. And one of the very first things that God told me to do is to quit school. This is in 1968 when the Vietnam War was going and I had a student deferment as long as I stayed in school. I got $350 a month from the government for staying in school for my father's social security. So if I quit, I was going to lose money. I was going to lose the approval of everybody. And I could be drafted and sent to Vietnam. Did you know what most people would do is if God spoke to you, you would say, well, God, I know that this is you, but this is going to cost me money. Man, this could, I, I could get killed. I could get sent to Vietnam. And you know what? You value your own life and you value other things more than you value the Word of God. And so the moment you start considering these other things and valuing them, esteeming them and glorifying them, then what God has spoken in your life comes down. I have people come to me all the time and say things like, well, God spoke to me and told me to, I had this one guy from Chicago come and he says, I know God spoke to me about coming to school. 
But, and then he told me his parents, he was a young guy and he was still living at home with his parents. He says, my parents think you're of the devil. And they did not want me to do it. They took him to his pastor. And the pastor said, that guy is of the devil. You do not go to his school. And then his girlfriend was going to, they were going to get married and she was going to separate from him and call the marriage off if he came to Bible school. And he had a job that paid good money, but he would have to leave Chicago and come to Colorado. And so he started listing all of these things. And he went through this and spent 30 minutes telling me all of this stuff. And he says, what do I do? And I said, you lost me the moment you said, you know, God told you to come. I said, if God told you to come, then you ought to esteem that and everything else. It doesn't matter. Let it fall. Let the chips fall where they may. Here's God Almighty who has an entire universe to run. Millions and millions and millions, billions of people crying out to him. And he takes time to talk to you and tell you something. And then you are going to decide whether or not you're going to do it. See, I value God more than that. If I know that God spoke something to me, I don't care if it was my own mother, if it's my brother, my sister, if it's my own self, anything, any feeling, anything that goes contrary to what I know God's Word says, I'll reject it because I've learned to man glorify God. What a privilege to have God Almighty talk to you directly and you're going to debate whether or not you do it. I don't relate to that. I just told this guy, I said, I hadn't even got an answer for you. I said, who cares about losing your job? Who cares about losing your fiance? And I know some of you think, well, you insensitive thing. <laughs> you just value other stuff more than you value God. If you would put God first, God will work many of these situations out, but if they don't work out, then you didn't need them. There was a man who said, Lord, I'm going to follow you, but let me bury my father first. He said, let the dead bury their dead. So they thought that was insensitive too. But you know what? If you put your hand to the plow and then look back and decide, should I do this? Maybe I, you aren't worthy. You got to be committed. When God speaks something to you, you just place value on God and who gives a rip what it costs. God told me to quit school, which potentially could have got me killed going to Vietnam, lost money, did everything else, but it's what God spoke to me. And man, I was excited. I was just praising God because I had heard from God. And guess what? As soon as I quit school, they reclassified me 1A. They sent me for a physical. And I was just waiting to hear the results. And this um, army recruiter came to my house and knocked on the door and came in and opened up his briefcase and put out all of his brochures and started his spiel about why it was so much better to volunteer than to be drafted. And I just stopped him and I said, I can save both of us a lot of time. He said, okay. And I said, the reason I'm classified 1A and that you're here is because I quit school and I lost my student deferment. And he said, that's right. And I said, but see, God told me to quit school. And he just kind of rolled his eyes and looked at me. And I said, but see, God told me to do it. So whatever the results of this are, you know, God's in control. And I said, it's no problem with me. So I don't have to decide whether I'm going to join or whatever. I've done what God told me to do. And he just laughed. This guy, here I was valuing God and putting honor and esteeming what God said. And this guy laughed at me. 
and just laugh. And he says, boy, I can tell you, you're going to Vietnam. And when he said that, I got mad. Here I was, I was 19 by this time. And I was valuing God and loving God and, and excited about what God said. And this guy, his value for God was way down here. And he says, I'm a representative of the United States government. Who is God compared to the U.S. government? <laughs> he didn't say those words, but that's the point he's getting across. I'm representing the government. He esteemed the government. He thought natural things were bigger than God. See, and so because he esteemed those things, his, his esteem for God was way down here. Mine was exactly the opposite. And when this guy laughed at me and said, boy, you're going to Vietnam, I tell you, I was a 19-year-old boy. He was probably 30-something, representing the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. I stood up and put my finger right in his chest. And I said, buddy, if God wants me drafted, I'll be drafted. And if he doesn't, you or the United States government or every demon in hell can't draft me. <laughs> and this guy just grabbed up all of his stuff, put it back in his briefcase and walked out and never said another word. And the next morning I got my draft notice in the mail. <laughs> You know, I didn't even think about it then, but I would have liked to have checked and see if it had a, a stamp on it. I bet you that that guy went down and processed my stuff personally and put my draft notice in that mailbox. I think that's probably what happened. But you know, I didn't care because I really believed it. And if it meant me dying, that was fine. If it meant me losing money from the government, that's fine. I have people come to me and say, but God told me to come to school. But then they say, but I'm only five years away from retirement. If I just work another five years, I can get this much more money and everything. And I think, well, go ahead and just esteem your retirement and esteem everything else. God didn't know that you were only five years away from retirement. He, he spoke to you five years too soon. And so I understand that. Just lean to your own understanding and do it your own way. Man, we're so stupid. How dumb can you get and still breathe? Brothers and sisters, if God told you to do something, do it. Some things there are, is a timing involved, but at least take a step in that direction. Start making preparations. Do something. But for you to have God put something on your heart, but then, well, what's my mate going to think? What about my retirement? What's going to happen here? What? Who cares? You're esteeming things, and that's the reason why God spoke to you and at one time excited you so much now doesn't excite you because you let something else distract you and you begin to glorify something else. You need to keep God way up here and glorify what God has to say. And if you do that, you'll never leak all of this out. And you know, this is one thing, again, I don't claim that it's my great ability that's done it, but I just... God has touched my life, and I don't think there's been a day go by in 45 years next week that I haven't just thought about it and thought about, thank you, Jesus, for touching my life. Thank you for impacting me. I, I am thankful constantly. And see, that leads us to the second thing. The second thing in Romans 1.21, it says the first thing they didn't esteem or glorify God. The second thing, they weren't thankful. The word thankful right there is the exact same word that is used over in um, Romans chapter 11. Let me turn over to this verse and read this to you. 
Romans chapter 11. And in verse 13, I'm breaking right into the middle of this teaching, but he says, for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. Did you know that the word magnify here is the exact same word, the same Greek word that was translated glorify in Romans 1.21. So to glorify means to magnify, to make bigger. And then you put this together with Psalms chapter 69. Let me turn over and read this verse to you. This is Psalms chapter 69 and it's around verse 30 or 31. This is Jesus speaking. If you're familiar with these scriptures, it's a prophetic Psalm. And this is David that's writing it, but it's Jesus. It's talking about his crucifixion. And you can tell that by reading this 69th Psalm. But in verse 31, he says, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. So this word magnify, the word magnify means to make bigger. How do you make God bigger? You know, the truth is God is who he is, regardless of whether you realize it or not. You can't make God bigger. You can't change who he is. He's who he is independent of what you think about him. But as far as your life goes, as far as the impact on you, you can increase the impact of God on you. You can make God bigger in your life. You can have more anointing, more joy, more faith, not because God did something, but because you take what he's done and you magnify it. Whatever you focus your attention upon, your, your mind is like a pair of binoculars. And whatever you focus your attention on, it gets bigger. And whatever you fail to focus on becomes smaller. You can use this in a positive or a negative way. If you've got something you want to forget, you can literally cast your care over on the Lord and start focusing on God instead. And God will become bigger and those other things you don't want will diminish. But the more you focus on your problem, it's a friend of mine said, it's like putting a toothpick in your path, path and you get to focusing on it and thinking about this thing. And by the time you get through magnifying it, it becomes this huge baseball bat and the devil's just beating your brains out with this little tiny toothpick. But in your mind, it's become this big thing. And th this is what happened. We focus, we obsess over insignificant, minute things compared to eternity. This is how Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Paul had more problems than you and I ever thought about having, but he says it's just a light affliction. You know how he did that? He says it's just for a moment. I'm being shipwrecked, beaten, persecuted. I've been beaten with rods, beaten with whips. I've been threatened to be killed. I'm in prison right now. It looks really bleak, but it's just for a moment. It's only been 20 or 30 years. Compared to eternity, 20 or 30 years is nothing. See, when you begin to think like that, it just shrinks everything. I can guarantee you there are people right here today that you had problems today and things that discouraged you and kept you from rejoicing in the Lord the way you should. And if you don't write it down in a journal in a year from now or a month from now or whatever, you won't even remember what it was because it was really relatively insignificant. Somebody cut you off in traffic. Something didn't work right. You had a flat, you had, the, you, you know, and because of that, you get bummed out. In the light of eternity, those things don't matter. But if you just look at every little thing that happens and just focus on it and think about it, it becomes this huge deal that just destroyed your day. And a week from now, you won't even be able to remember what it was that kept you from rejoicing in the Lord today. It was insignificant. Amen or oh me. 
So see, when you begin to, like it says here in uh, Psalms chapter 69, 31, when you sing and worship the Lord, you magnify God. You are focusing on the answer instead of the problem. And most people think, but something's wrong with me if I don't focus on this problem. I've got a problem. I, this isn't one of those minor things. This is a big deal. And I need to deal with it. That's, that's wrong thinking. Most people see it's kind of like they build a little fence around them and they say, as long as it's within these parameters, as long as it's a hangnail, as long as it's a minor headache, as long as it's only $10 that I need, as long as it's small, then yeah, I'm going to keep praising God. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. But if it's something big, most of us would feel we're in denial. Something's wrong with us if we don't just fall apart like a $2 suitcase over this thing. I should be hurting. What's wrong with me? You know, I've got a friend of mine that he just lost his uh, wife. Matter of fact, I got Philip and Sandy Moore back there. They know Chellis uh, and Sharon Sheffield. They used to work with us. And Sharon died a couple of years ago. And, and Shellis was just devastated by this. He honestly thought he couldn't live. And I ministered to him and prayed with him. And anyway, about a month or two months after the death of his wife, I went over to see Chellis just to see how he was doing. And he was just praising God. And he told me, he says, he says, Andrew, you, I believe you'll understand this, but he says, most people think I'm crazy. They think that I've flipped out because I'm not grieving. But he says, I was hurting so bad. It was like I had to dig a grave and either crawl in next to my wife or I had to get over it. He says, I couldn't live the way that I was going. And so he says, I turned to the Lord and asked God to, to minister to me. And he says, God has touched my life. I am happier than I've ever been. He says, it's a shame that my wife had to die before I got this serious. But he says, regardless of what caused it, I am now more in love with God than I've ever been. He says, my life is happier than I've ever been. He says, I am a hundred times better off than I was before. Not because his wife died, but in spite of it, that's what caused him to turn to the Lord. And see, most people... If I was to say this, most people would sit there and say, something's wrong with that guy. He didn't let the grieving process go. He should be at least grieving for one year or maybe two years or three years. And most Christians would not accept that. And yet the Bible says he comforts us in all of our tribulations so that we're able to comfort others. You can get to where you glorify God and, and God's supply is so infinitely greater than your need that there's not even, it's not even worthy to compare it and talk about it. And one of the ways you do that is you start thanking God. This is one of the keys in my life. I, there have been very few days, if any days in my life in the last 45 years that I hadn't said, thank you, Jesus, for touching my life. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for calling me. I mean, I thank God every day of my life. And I've had some bad days. I've had some days when it would have been easier to think about something else, but I just, I'm so thankful for what Jesus has done that every day of my life, I try and thank God and thank him for what he's done in my life. Man, I appreciate it. And that's the reason that I've never lost my joy over it. That's the reason that I'm still serving God 45 years later and I'm stronger than I was. That's the reason it hasn't waned. 
And I'm telling you, this is a missing element in most people's lives. Most people, God touches them, but then they value other people, other things, money, esteem, ego, recognition, who knows, whatever. You value the evening news and their opinion more than you value what God says or whatever. And you begin to place value on other things. And the moment you do, your value, your esteem that you've placed on God decreases. And that's the moment you begin to start losing these things. Amen. And one of the things that you do, you magnify God with thanksgiving. Every time you begin to thank God, you can't be thankful focused on the problem. For you to be thankful, it makes you focus on the answer. Like if you're sitting there, well, thank you, God, that the doctor says I'm going to die. I remember Aunt Susie died of this same thing and it was terrible. And you know what? You'll quit thanking God if that's the way you think. For you to thank God, you're going to have to say, well, I don't care what happened to old Aunt Susie. I know what your word says, that by the stripes of God, I was healed. And you start esteeming that. And if you're going to be thankful and truly praise him, it makes you take your attention off of the negative and put it on the things of God. It makes you become word conscious instead of problems conscious. You've got to start focusing on the things of God. And brothers and sisters, bad things happen to all of us. I know some of you are listening to me and think, well, you just don't have my problems. Well, I don't have your problems, but you don't have my problems. How many of you would like to have $3 million a month just to pay your bills? You know, I, I haven't added that up in a long time, but I don't know. That's like, that's like, uh, what, $3,000 an hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week? How many of you would like to have that sitting on your shoulders? You can say what you want to, but I've got my own set of problems. I could worry if I wanted to. Amen. I've had some really bad things happen to me. I've had some things that I can guarantee you, I don't know about you, but I know me that if it wasn't for what God has done in my life, I would have been overcome by them. Yeah, we're all different, but you know what? I can guarantee you that if it hadn't have been for me doing these things, just glorifying God, putting such a worth and value on Him and being thankful unto Him, if I hadn't have been doing those things, I would have lost what God has done in my life. I've talked to many, many people over the years that have had a miraculous encounter with God, but it was 30 years, 40 years in the past, and they haven't been full of God a day since. Yeah. And when I talk about these things, they come to me and they say, I had something like that, but I lost it. There's a lot of people, probably many of you right here in this room have had some dramatic things happen with God. But right now, man, you're a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. You aren't full. You aren't joyful. And it's not because God changed. God, there is no expiration date on God. Amen. The things of God don't just vaporize or, you know, evaporate over a period of time. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God has ever blessed you, if he's ever touched your life, his joy, his peace, his power, his anointing towards you is exactly the same as it was. Amen. Romans chapter 11, verse 29 says, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. If you were ever anointed to do something for God, if you've ever felt anointed and blessed and prosperous, you are still as anointed and more anointed than you've ever recognized because you never tapped into the fullness of what God has given you. You hadn't lost a thing. 
He might think, but you don't understand what happened to me and I've been through a divorce or this happened or that happened. It doesn't matter. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. God never turned off the spigot. It's you that turned it off through letting something else grab your attention and you begin to put more value on it and it began to have more impact over you. You magnified it more than you magnified God. And if all of these things are true, which they are, some of you are thinking, well, you're saying it's my fault then. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and some of you think, well, I don't like that. I love it. Because you know what? If I'm the problem, I can fix me. If God's the problem or if this is just life and if it's impossible to go through life and maintain your joy and still be strong after 20, 30, 40 years, well then man, we're all doomed. We're just, every once in a while you have a little mountaintop but then you live most of your time in the valley and stuff. If that's the way it is, man, that's terrible. It's a blessing to me to find out that if something's wrong, it's me that it's wrong with, not God. And so all I've got to do is go back and reverse this and Go, the moment I start esteeming God again and say, God, forgive me for looking at somebody else, letting this thing that happened over here discourage me and make me a skeptic and take my joy away. God, forgive me for this. And you go back and say, but you're good and you were faithful and you never left me. And you, the, your gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And then the moment you start being thankful and start glorifying him for how good he's been, did you know what this, you can go right back to the same joy that you had, the same anointing that you had, the same vision that you had, the same everything. It's not God who turns this on and off, it's us. Yes. You know, for most people, they spend their time trying to get God to bless them. People come up and say, would you just pray that God pour his love out in my life? No, I won't pray that. Some of you are thinking, well, what's wrong with that? The Bible says he's already done it. God commended his love towards us. It's not God who's not making you feel his love. It's you that are exalting everything else. And you're so occupied with the things of this world that you're the one that's clogged up the pipe and keeps the love of God from flowing. I'll help you rotor-rooter your pipe. I'll help you get rid of your stinking thinking. I'll pray with you that you can begin to start glorifying God again and putting the right attention on him, but I'm not going to go to God like, oh God, why did you quit loving this person? Would you please pour out your love? That's an insult to God. God loves you. If you don't feel the love of God, it's not God who's not loving. It's you who's not feeling because you have quit glorifying God. You've quit being thankful. Your imagination became darkened and then your foolish heart was hardened and darkened towards God and now you can't perceive God. It's not God who changed. It's you who clogged yourself up. That's big. That's big what I'm saying right here. You know, if your television set was to all of a sudden quit, most of you have more faith in the television station than you have in God. Because if your television set quit, the first thing you'd do is go check your television set because you would assume that the TV station's always broadcasting. It's not them that went off the air. It must be my set. And you would start working with your receiver. But man, the moment you don't feel love, well, God, why did you turn off the love? God never turns love off. It's you that quit letting the love flow through you. You started listening 
to the evening news and watching this junk and watch people kill people and commit adultery and lie and steal for entertainment and wonder why you don't feel love. It's not God who turned it off. It's you who turns it off by the things that we do and consider and whatever you focus your attention on, it starts getting bigger and magnified. I didn't make it very far through this verse. <laughs> but there's a lot more than what I've shared. You know, this thing about imagination is huge. I taught on that at the Bible school today. It's huge. Man, these things, I wish I had time to go through the whole thing, but you know, the... Uh, I think it was Kenneth Hagin that said, the heart can't absorb more than the seat can endure. <laughs> so I'm going to have to let you go. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be that the average experience is that God touched you, but you just know that in a short period of time, you're going to lose it. That you'll be back to being defeated and discouraged. It's not the way that it is. You know, this man right down here, Daryl, I prayed with him tonight and he could barely move. He had to walk with his hands on Elaine, his daughter's shoulders and he was barely getting around. I prayed with him and man, I jerked him up and he had trouble getting up. Kind of hurt it looked like, but you know what? I went to praying for Elaine and Daryl was just walking around all over the place, amen, <laughs> and doing good. But Daryl, if you ever have another pain or another problem, it's not God who didn't heal you or that you lost it. It's the devil knocking at the door, seeing if you'll let him back in. And all you got to do is just say, no, man, God healed me. I'm going to glorify him. I refuse to decrease that. And you keep putting the worth and the value on God and glorifying him. And I guarantee you, you will continue in your healing and you'll see total manifestation of that. Brothers and sisters, this is so simple, you gotta have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. <laughs> Sad fact is we've had a lot of help misunderstanding the things of God. But I tell you, God loves us. You know, I'm assuming that the vast majority of people that are in this room, you already have a relationship with God. You're already born again. God has touched your life. He's spoken things to you. And every one of us can look at what we don't have. You know, this building that we were talking about, the first phase is $32.2 million, $32 million. I'm going to do it debt free. And you talk about that and people start getting a little anxious. Some of the people on my staff, you know, but we still need $6 million. Here's the way I look at it. We didn't start this process until 1970. I mean, uh, excuse me, that, man, that had been a long time ago. <laughs> Two, let's see, when was it? 2010 is the first time I advertised it. So it's been just, it hadn't even been, uh, well, it was three years ago this month, we first told people about this. So in three years, I've gotten $26.2 million on top of my normal budget. $26.2 million extra. And if you look at it that way, man, I'm over, what is that? Three-fourths of the way, or I don't even know how much that is. Anyway, it's a bunch. I'm, I'm a long ways down the road to having this thing paid for. When you look at what you've already got instead of what you need, then it shrinks that need down to where I'm going to do this. We're going to make it. It'll work. 
But see, you can do this same thing in your life. You can sit there and look at what you don't have. You can look at the problem and say, God, you know, look at, look at my problem. Or you can look at what God has already done for you and start praising God for how good he's already been. The children of Israel, if they would have thought properly, they would have thought, did the Lord bring us out here into the wilderness and do all of these great miracles and divide the Red Sea and do all of this so we could die in the wilderness? Absolutely not. But they just forgot everything and they were focused on one thing. It's been two days since I had water. And so they just got to murmuring and complaining and they forgot the great miracles that God had already done. Same thing happens to us. We get occupied with just what's going on right now and we forget how good God has been. Even if you've had bad things happen to you, it could have been worse. Amen. You know, I'm going to quit with this in the name of Jesus. I don't ever get through. I just quit. I could talk about this stuff forever. But I was at a minister's conference and Bob Nichols, who's one of my good friends, he was there on the front row and Bob Nichols is the pastor of Calvary Cathedral in Fort Worth, Texas, and he's had so many bad things happen. He had two tornadoes collide over his building, and $18 million was wiped out in 45 seconds. Within an hour, I saw him on C CNN with a hard hat on saying, God didn't do this, but God is going to bless us, and we're going to come back twice as strong. We'll have twice as much. And today, he does have a facility that's twice as good, much better He's had things happen. Of course, all pastors have had people criticize him and reject him and church splits and this and that. And he's been through that. And his daughter um, is just a, one of the most godly people I've ever met. And anyway, she had a car wreck, bumped her head, started having headaches and then started having seizures. And I forget how many years ago now, but it's been 15 years, I think, ago she had a seizure and died and they rushed her to the hospital and they revived her and had her own life support. And I was in the hospital when the doctor came in and said, Pastor Bob, your daughter is dead. Let her go. And um, he just, he was polite and he says, you do your job, you do what you have to do, but I know what God's told me and he wouldn't accept it. And anyway, to this day, 15 years later, his daughter is still alive, but according to the doctors, she doesn't have a brain. She's brain dead. She can't talk. She can say a few words. She stands up. She walks a little bit, but has to have help. But 15 years later, she's got 24 hour a day nursing care. She's alive. She's functioning. She's healthy in every way, except her mind with being without oxygen, it did some damage, but she's improving. But you know, what would happen? What would you feel like if you had had people in your house 24 hours a day for over 15, it could be as many as 20 years now. You know what, that's enough to get a person to complain. But I've never heard Pastor Bob complain, ever. And I was preaching on this about we ought to be thankful for what we've got. It could be worse. Praise God that things are as good as they are. And I was preaching on this and Bob just stood up. He had his Bible in his lap and he threw his Bible on the ground and he said, I've had all of this I can take. And he just goes, thank you, Jesus, for how good you are. And he started praising God. And he just started crying and blessing God. Were you guys there when he did that? And I tell you what, people who are complaining over their little puny problems, 
saw this guy who had many times more problems than them start glorifying God. And they started hitting the front. They started repenting. People started apologizing. Oh God, I'm sorry for complaining about this. You know what? I don't care how bad your situation is. You can find somebody who's got it worse than you've got. It could be worse. You ought to praise God. Things are as good as they are. You got things to praise God for. And if you would just glorify God and praise Him, it would change your whole outlook on life. That's your imagination. Your heart would become sensitive to God. You'd start hearing the voice of God. And all it takes is just one word from God to totally turn your situation around. One little idea from God could change every person in here Everything had worked, but it starts with you putting the proper value on God and glorifying Him. Go back to what God has spoken to you in your life. Go back to what God said and don't let your life experience and circumstances devalue what God has done. The Bible says in Romans 3, 4, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every circumstance a liar. Let God be true and the news media a lie. Let God be true above anything. You glorify Him and go back and say, Father, I don't care what I've seen, heard, felt, what mistakes I've made. Your word is still true. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And you go back and start glorifying Him, placing the proper value on Him, being thankful, using your imagination. Your heart becomes sensitive. And I guarantee you, you'll be stronger than horseradish. Amen. If you aren't strong, it's not time to pray and ask God to make you strong. It's time for you to start glorifying God and being thankful and doing these things. If you aren't happy, it's not time for you to ask God to make you happy. Start glorifying God and putting the proper value on Him. Somebody says, well, I hadn't got anything to glorify God over. Man, just come up here and bend over and let me kick you. Boom. <laughs> If I was God, I'd just drop kick you off the earth. Man, if nothing else, you're born again. If worse comes to worse, the worst thing that's going to happen to you is you're going to go to heaven. <laughs> Man, what's wrong with that? We sing about when we all get to heaven, what a day is going to be, and then the doctor tells you you're going and you cry. Something's wrong with this picture. I believe in victory, but if you didn't experience victory, you're going to go to be with the Lord forever. You can praise God for that. You got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can pray in tongues. That's just like a dynamo. You just flip the switch and boom, the power of God begins to flow. Man, praise God for that. People say, but our nation is going to hell. It's just terrible what's happening. Paul lived in a nation that was a hundred times worse than this, and you didn't find him griping and complaining and sending a dozen emails every day talking about how bad everything was. If Paul could glorify God and prosper in his evil situation, you ought to at least be able to make it in this old corrupt United States of America. Man, it could be a lot worse than it is. We need to quit using excuses and just recognize that if you would glorify God, if you'd be thankful and do these things, I guarantee you, you can be as happy, as excited, as full of vision, as full of anointing as you want to be. It's not God who determines that, it's you. That's right. 
You determine how you are. Amen. And if for some reason you aren't born again or don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you an opportunity to change that right now. Amen. If you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. That's the beginning place. You must be born again. And that's more than just acknowledging that he exists. The Bible says in James 2, 19, you believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. It takes more than just believing that there's a God. You've got to make him your Lord. You've got to commit your life to him. It says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That's more than just mouthing the words. You have to make a commitment to him as your Lord. Doesn't mean that you're saying you'll never make a mistake because you can't do that. But you have to be willing to turn your life over. You have to want him to control your life and to trust him totally as your salvation. If you've never done that, I don't care if you are a religious person, I don't care if you're a relatively good person, if you haven't made Jesus your Lord, you will go to hell without making him your Lord, confessing it with your mouth. And so if you haven't done that, you ought to do that tonight. And then Jesus told the people who had made him Lord, he told his uh, disciples, he says, don't go anywhere, don't tell anybody this great news about the resurrection, don't do anything until you receive power from on high. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. I'm telling you, you can't really glorify God and be thankful without the baptism of the Holy Spirit the way you should. The Holy Spirit is sent to empower you to, to see Jesus and to know Jesus and to glorify Him. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you absolutely need it. And it includes speaking in tongues. And I know that there's some of you in here tonight who you didn't realize I was one of these tongue talkers <laughs> because I don't look like it. I'm not one of these guys on TV that spits and says glory to God. And uh, I don't wipe my fevered brow. And you just didn't know what you were getting in for, amen. You came here under false pretenses. But you know what? I do speak in tongues. I've spoken in tongues a lot today. I speak in tongues every day. I'm a tongue talker. It's changed my life. And so whether you knew it or not, you are in one of those tongue talking meetings. People are going to talk about you, so you might as well get something for it. Amen. Somebody's thinking, do you have to speak in, are you saying you have to speak in tongues to go to heaven? No, that's not what I'm saying. You can go to heaven without speaking in tongues. Matter of fact, you can get there quicker <laughs> because you aren't going to have any power to overcome. You're going to die of something along the way unless you receive power through the Holy Spirit. You can love God without speaking in tongues, but I guarantee you, you'll love him much more. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Man, the Holy Spirit will make your love for God explode. Amen. Somebody says, well, I believe I've got the Holy Spirit, but I don't speak in tongues. It's possible. I'm not speaking in tongues right now, and I have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to speak in tongues. It's not that you have to, it's you get to. It's a privilege. It's an honor. 
It took me a while to speak in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist. <laughs> and I had so much fear and wrong teaching about it that it hindered me. But you know what? I finally got it. And now I speak in tongues and I've been on both sides. And I'm telling you, having the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is infinitely better than not having it. It'll change your life. So if you haven't made Jesus your Lord, or if you've already been born again, but you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, I'd like to pray with you and help you to receive, because every person needs those two things. If you don't have those two things, this is the starting point. Is there anybody here tonight who would raise your hand and say, I'd like to receive. I want you to pray with me. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Be bold right now. And there's hands all over. Praise God. You know, I know that there's other people here that didn't raise your hand because you're wondering, what are you going to do? We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people just like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. You can call our helpline at 719-635-1111. Or you can write us at Post Office Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. Remember, you can always listen to Andrew's messages at awmi.net. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.